I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. And welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your host, Greg Scordis, filling in today for Boyd Matheson. We're about to talk about a subject that I find to be uh, very important. And some of you may know that I was involved in in the, the formation of Utah's drug courts back in. Uh, 1995 is a long time ago, and uh, sort of helping people with uh, drug problems, with other issues, and with other uh, things going on. That uh, to try to try to get them through that, it's it's evolved a little bit into something in Utah we now call Operation Clean Slate, which allows for uh, certain people under certain circumstances to get their records expunged. We're going to talk about that on a much broader scale. And so we're joined this afternoon by Ben Shelton, a policy associate at the Libertas Institute. Ben, thank you for joining us today on Inside Sources. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. So talk to our, our audience about what what problems ex-cons face when they're trying to get back into society yeah, sure. It's a it's a really challenging thing when you're an ex-offender and you're trying to reintegrate back into society. And it can be really challenging even if you come out of um, incarceration or a formed person or you're ready to make a positive impact in your community. Uh, the issue that I focus on in my policy brief is the problem that ex-offenders have entering the job uh, market uh, post-conviction. Uh, and this can be a really challenging thing as there's a number of barriers uh, that restrict ex-offenders from entering back into the labor market and doing so successfully, um, especially when they're trying to look for, you know, gainful full-time employment and not something that's short-term or maybe something that's under the table. So, so let me ask you this, Ben. There, there's always this notion, especially with the advancement of the Internet, with the advancement of public access to information, that that we should – that maybe employers have the right to know – about their employees' past in case it involves uh, dishonesty or theft or something like that. Um, where do we draw the line between the public or perhaps employers' rights to know about an individual's past and the individual's right to, to, to break free of that and to show that they've, they've, they've done some things themselves, cross some hurdles on their own, on, on their own that make them worthy to have their records cleaned up or, or to get job placement, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree that uh, employers have a right to know about the employees that they want to hire, that they want to have you know, salary, that they want to have interact with customers. 
however, it's really important that we are able to to create a labor market that's equitable for these people, especially um, one that encourages them to, you know, when they are released from, from prison or incarceration, to go out and get an employable skill, uh, whether that's uh, obtaining a higher level of education or whether that's going to get an occupational license. And um, what state governments can do is they can help reduce barriers um, so ex-offenders can go and, and gain those gain those skills so that when they go to an employer, um, that employer can see that this is a person um, who will be uh, a contributing member of their team, who will be an effective worker, um, and someone that they can trust to, to operate their company or to, to interact with customers. Are we talking about things like uh, what in the legal community we call expungement or pardons? Are we talking about changing the rules as as so that those are not so difficult for people that can show rehabilitation to obtain? Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately... We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that Utah's done some great things uh, with the, the Clean Slate Act, um, with Ban the Box legislation. Uh, if you're not familiar with Ban the Box, what that does is it basically, um, for some state employers, uh, they're not allowed to ask, ask about a, a person's criminal record or past criminal record until the interview stage. Uh, of the hiring process, and what this allows um, expenders to do is this allows them to show employers um, the skills that they have, the education that they may have, their willingness to be a, a reliable, dependable worker um, before getting immediately judged for their, their criminal record. And I would also argue that occupational licensing might have the biggest impact on, on getting people that are ex-offenders into the labor market effectively. You know, there have a lot of systematic barriers set up in place it really disincentivized uh, ex-offenders from seeking out an occupational license, which has huge benefits like increased salary, um, longer, better gainful employment, um, higher rates of full-time employment. We're uh, our Utah legislature is currently in session right now. If if you were up on the hill and you were talking to some of our legislators, what would you tell them about things that they can be doing to make? to make life easier for some of these ex-offenders? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of just entering the labor market, you know, things that they can do are continue to uh, to reduce occupational licensing barriers, specifically reducing the fees that people have to pay to become licensed uh, in various professions, um, reducing the, the education hour requirements that these people have to undertake to get licensed. You know, those two things can present huge barriers, especially if you're an ex-offender and you come out and you, you need to earn an income or help provide for a family, but you also might want to get, you know, licensed in, in a profession that's interesting to you. You wouldn't be able to do so due to the high burden of that. Um, 
I do want to applaud the Utah legislature. Uh, there's a bill currently in session right now um, that looks at cleaning up the remaining good moral character and moral turpitude language that exists in some occupational licensing um, requirements across the state. Uh, these are really vague requirements that can limit people that have criminal records from getting an occupational license, even if their criminal record isn't impactful to the license they're seeking or really isn't relevant at all to their ability to perform uh, an occupation with a high level of uh, safety. Would, would you would you take this further and 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 allow that schools and trade trade organizations uh, can also uh, sort of have the ability to look beyond a person's prior criminal history and allow them into some of these programs, allow them into some of these training things, allow them to obtain these professional licenses? Absolutely. I don't think anyone should be punished for putting themselves out there. And I think the hardest part with a lot of those places is applying and, and to figure out once you've applied that you can't uh, attend because of your criminal record. You know, that's that's really heartbreaking and it can really be discouraging for further attempts to, you know, successfully reintegrate back into society, um, obtain education, obtain employable skills, reenter the labor market. Yeah, and it seems like right now we had a we had a guest on earlier today, Ben, who talked about the labor market and sort of the shortage in the in the labor market. It seems like we've got a we've got a host of people that want to work, and and it's it if they can prove that they've that they've cleaned up, that they've got some years or 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 extended period of time of rehabilitation, that they ought to be able to do this, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Utah really does suffer from some pretty extreme labor shortages, especially in really, uh, really crucial professions. We have huge mental health professional labor shortages, um, just as an example. And if we can get people that, you know, are ex-offenders, but that are are reformed, um, that have shown the ability to want to provide care uh, into those those roles that are in in huge demand, that's a huge benefit to the the average consumer in, in Utah or the person that you know, it's just seeking a higher level of, of choice out in the market. That was Ben Shelton, Policy Associate at Libertas Institute, and thank you for joining us this afternoon on, on uh, in KSL. Uh, when we come back after the break, we're going to be talking about something you might not expect, which is why are we seeing such a hike in egg prices at our grocery stores? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.